Okay, so today we have an old friend to the show, the first friend of the show. Actually, we have we have the wonderful Dr. Melton back with us today, and in addition to Dr. Melton, uh, cousin Eddie is not with us today. However, in his stead, we have all the way from season one, the lovely Elena from Three B. Hello. Hey, Dr. Melton and Elena, how are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. I'm so excited to to be here with Elena from Three B. Looking forward <laughs> to this conversation. We yes. just hope we just hope Elena from Three B behaves herself. All because the time. I don't I don't know why you think I don't. I don't know. I don't know about this. <laughs> so Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. My name is Aldo Martin. And I'm Cousin Eddie. And together, we're going to explore what it's like to be in and leave a religious cult. For more info on the Reclamation Podcast, find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Aldo B. Martin. So, Dr. Melton, welcome back. And Thank you. you you're the first person that we interviewed for this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I want to take I want to take a time out or some time to acknowledge that because that was before we had a point of reference. Excuse me. That was before that was when our point of reference was just us. Mhm. You had not met cousin Eddie? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you didn't know, you you didn't know what to expect in conversing with him and mm-hmm. you had not met anyone or interacted with anyone who was in the audience who would later on tell us how they related to to our stories to your story regardless of time and space right so now here we are and now you're you're with us again for season two after having some experience in 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 speaking with uh with people right and hearing from people Mm -hmm. who've had similar stories now some of our guests or not some, but there was one guest in particular. She mentioned that the church was, prof- this is her, her exact words. This is a quote now. Proficient in scaring its members to death. <laughs> That's what she said. Okay. And, and she's <laughs> yeah, a, powerful and, words. And she's a former leader. Ah. She's a former okay. leader. Okay, well, she would know, right? Some she would know. strategies and tactics. Okay. What are your thoughts on that as it pertains to the general experience and your experience? Well, one, just hearing, you know, that phrase, that phrasing in those words, I, I kind of chuckled there. Not that it was humorous, but more of like, oh, that's powerful. Um, so in when thinking about and reflecting on it, I'm thinking about how fear, how I felt fear, how I experienced anxiety, and what were the methods in which that was um, used. And I would say pretty accurate in terms of, you know, the threat of being cut off, of the shame of falling away from God. Um, so I think that, that that is accurate. It's Again, strong words. It's very it sound, strong words. It sounds extreme, right? It sounds it extreme. Does, it does. But when I think about the 
the threat of shame and cutting people off and being told that you are are not good in the eyes of this omnipotent being, right? Who is loving and caring, but you will be cut off. That that's the words match the threat of that. Yeah, and it, that gives me a a flashback. Um, I remember, you know, we've talked about many times how the leadership, you know, would say that your best friends, you know, have to be disciples, church members, and just you just surround yourself always with uh, disciples, and you mm-hmm. are to not basically fraternize with the lost, or like, and unless you're trying to convert right. them, but you cannot like hang out with them or spend time with them. And I remember um, that I think this was about. In 2000, I was working at a hotel and one of my coworkers was having a birthday. Young, young girl, she was turning 20 and she was going to have a birthday in a lounge in Soho. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God. And I, you know, she invited everybody to be there. And I'm like, it can't be the only one that says no. Like, mm-hmm. like it can't be weird. Like I, I gotta go. But then just the thought of a lounge at the word lounge, Soho, mm-hmm. It was at eight o'clock, you know, these, these times that you just, everything added up. My heart was racing. Like I, I, I want to be relatable. I, I was battling with, it's just, it's just, it's a birthday party. Like it's n- nothing can go wrong, but then like, she's lost. She's not a disciple. And I just, the fear, but I decided, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm gonna go to this party. So I, I remember <laughs> it was like summer or something like that. But I remember mm-hmm. because I, I, it was the world quote unquote, I remember wearing like a thick cable knit, like turtleneck sweater and like a long Mm -hmm. skirt, like something (laughs) just very like super uber modest Mm -hmm. because I didn't know where I was going to go, what I was going to see. I had all sorts of visions of like, (laughs) like new trapeze artists. I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) This is what I was, this this is where I'm going. Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what was going to happen. I'm gonna go downstairs. It's gonna be like some speaky, you know, like it was gonna be speaky. So you, you think you think you're going to Studio 54? Like yeah, what do you? I, I yes. what I thought, and my heart was pounding. Like it's going to open up. I'm gonna step into that lounge, and I really thought, like again, mm. as ridiculous as it sounds, the floor is gonna open up. I knew something was gonna bad as soon as I stepped foot. Something bad was going to happen. But I went there, and it was so chill. The lights were dim, mm. but it was like jazz music. Like it was just like, or just like Neo Soul. It was just very chill. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And I remember thinking, I'm overdressed. Like I was embarrassed that I was overdressed. <laughs> Everyone was just wearing like, you know, regular relaxed, cl- relaxed clothes. But I, I just felt like, you know, I felt embarrassed, ashamed that I thought the floor was going to open up. But, you know, just that description you said, you said prof- what, can you read that again? What was the exact words, the quote? The church was proficient in scaring its members to death. Yeah, mm-hmm. I ex- that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. Like, I was afraid. I was trying to be bold and, and, and fearless. I'm like, I'm going to go. But then I, my heart was pounding the entire time. And I thought something bad was going to happen as soon as, as soon as I stepped foot there. And it, and it didn't. I remember feeling at the end, like, you know what? That- that's not true. Like, no, no. Yeah. And I think, you know, on top of that, I'm, I was thinking of like in the moment, like in those moments where there's that, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to be discipled. I'll be grouped in with the people that are essentially at risk of losing their faith. 
But the other piece of that proficiency is about threatening the pathway to the future. Meaning that if you wanted to start dating, if you wanted to have a godly Mm. marriage with a disciple, you weren't going to get there unless you abided by the rules, both the unspoken and the, the implicit rules. And if you were not progressing spiritually, right, then you didn't have a pathway to those future things that mm. that people would want, right? Or that we were told was what you should be going for. This is what a godly life is. This is what a good life is. You know, <clears throat> Dr. Melton, the, the reason we have you back is because when we met you way back in season one, we uh, we discussed, you know, your before you came to the church, right? And and the beginning stages of you for the church. And we wanted to have you back today because we wanted you to complete your story. And we wanted to know about why you left and and when you left and what life was like after leaving. Right. So I want to begin with this. In your original interview, you mentioned this concept of purity culture. We were never able to expound on that. And I wanted to give the opportunity now. Can you tell us what is this concept of purity culture? And can you speak to how it pertains to the church that we were involved in? I hope I do this uh, justice. Um because it's it's a phenomenon that wasn't just within this church group, but it, it seems like just that moment in time in the 90s and the early 2000s. But basically, purity culture was around how to, um, your responsibility, particularly for women, your responsibility to remain, to re, um, retain the purity, the sinlessness in relationships with your brothers in Christ. So that... We weren't, the way that we dressed, how we wore our hair, the way that we even engaged and connected with our brothers in Christ was very prescriptive, meaning that we could not wear things, say things, engage with them that would cause them to struggle with lust, right? So then women became responsible for um, controlling, managing, suppressing a brother's attractiveness desire for us. So we became objectified, ready, right? And then responsible for us being objects in that way. And so you would have people being uh, discipled um, and uh, discipled on what they wore. I remember in New York, so I've been, I was in New York church. I had some, spent some time in the Detroit church. I spent time in the Phoenix church. And all of those were different in their level, their degree of you must maintain purity culture. Now, as we have shared, shared before, in this particular ministry, college ministry um, uh, in New York, it was like where the, the legacy leaders came from and their children came out of that. So there was a pretty high standard on how you were perceived, especially for women. And so there were unspoken rules around how long your shorts had to be, like if you were wearing shorts, your skirts and things like that. And if they were too short, you would get discipled. You would get a scripture, right? Um, I was told, I think I mentioned this before, I was told when I had people that were under me, meaning that they, I was discipling them in their spiritual journey, 
Um, I had one of the sisters that was very popular uh, amongst the brothers and popular in a way that had a negative connotation, meaning that the brothers were attracted to her. Many of them were asking their disciple partners um, if they could date her, so on and so forth. Now, I was given the risk because of that, because she developed this reputation, right? She developed a reputation that brothers were attracted to her. So nothing wrong with her or anything inappropriate that she was doing, right? She wasn't propositioning brothers. They were just attracted to her. She was an attractive woman. Because she developed that reputation and these brothers were asking about her, my discipling partner, because you know it rolls downhill, my discipling partner told me that I needed to talk to her about how she engages with brothers, that she should not be calling them outside of church unless it was about church business, that she shouldn't just be having social calls, so on and so forth, that she really had to pull herself back so that the brothers wouldn't be attracted to her. So it... It should be noted that this this young lady was acting normal. Acting normal. Mm-hmm. Being friendly. Being herself. Being and, herself. And it just so happened that, you know, people were attracted to her. Men were attracted to her, which is also which is also normal. Right. And and the mm-hmm. response was to tell her, tone it down. Yeah. How does that pertain to purity culture? That is purity culture. Purity culture in a sense of it is the woman's fault if the man experiences lust or attraction. So then it's already making sinful natural human inclinations, right? But then also the responsibility to manage that is on the woman and that she has to cover up in many different ways as to not cause brothers to struggle. (laughs) And if she didn't, if brothers are struggling, it is her fault. She is being sinful. That is purity culture, and it has caused a lot of harm, right? And being able to have, one, a healthy sense of self for women, right? It also has caused harm, I believe, for the brothers that they take no responsibility for their own behaviors and actions. Mm -hmm. So it's a setup for toxic relationships. A setup for toxic relationships. Wow, that's powerful. That is powerful. Can Can you expound on that statement a little? Oh, before you do, I'm sorry, I just wanted to apologize. I was giggling, not because what you said was funny. I just had an image of me wearing a sweater and having a sweater around my bottom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had to run my waist because I remember, you know, it was like I you had to wear this. things like that, like ooh, a sweater around your waist. And like, it's a summertime, but you can't, you just wearing totally inappropriate things in, in a sense of, you know, oversized sweatshirt, you know, just mm-hmm. to not <laughs> cause somebody to struggle. So I just mm-hmm. had the image of just wearing these totally random things to, to you know, fit in with this, this purity culture. Mm-hmm. The setup for the, uh, for the toxic relationships. The setup for the toxic, unhealthy relationships is when, if there is already this internalized sense of I'm responsible for how somebody else treats me in terms of if they're attracted to me, if they're struggling, if they misbehave or say something wrong, that it's my fault, then mm. that shifts someone's ability to, to have appropriate boundaries, to be able to say no, to speak up for and advocate for themselves, right? And so when that becomes internalized and becomes a part of identity, then that makes someone very vulnerable to, to bad actors, if you will, those who seek to manipulate, those who seek mm. to cause harm, right? 
Um, and it also makes you susceptible to just kind of going along with people that don't even have the, the awareness that they're engaging in abusive, you know, uh, uh, um, abusive behaviors like, um, oh, um, it's blanking on me. It's not mansplaining, but that's a problem too. But that's a whole nother podcast, I believe. Um, but uh, gaslighting, there it is. So it makes you susceptible to gaslighting. You don't believe your own perspective. You question it, you doubt it. And therefore you give a lot of your power over to the other person to help you to understand your own experience. You, you brought up this term gaslighting. And I, I do not recall hearing that term during my time in the church. Maybe I was ignorant to it, but I have heard it a lot lately. And by lately, I mean in the past couple of years, I think, um, mm -hmm. gaslighting. Can you explain that term to us in, in from your perspective? Because I hear it a lot. I hear it often. And I don't know if it's one of these words that people just say without really knowing what it means. Stop saying words because you're going to make me define each and every one. Um, <laughs> this is the DSM. This is the DSM. Uh, the DSM episode. Right. right. So, okay. So gaslighting is not in the DSM. I will just throw that out there. Um, but it is. Not, not yet. <laughs> well, good. that's good. true. Okay, good. Um, but gaslighting is when someone, the best way I can describe it is when someone it's trying to tell you that your perception of, of reality is not real. So, you know, as I'm looking at you and I'm seeing that you're wearing glasses and I say, you don't have glasses on your face. What are you talking about? There's nothing on your face. What are you, what are you saying? Well, you can see just fine. You don't have glasses on your face. And I just get in that argument with you and you might start to question, do I? Are these real? Can Is this in my head? Do I have glasses on? That's gaslighting a silly example but we can easily do that we as in people can do that in terms of you don't really feel hurt or uh i remember uh one of your guests uh, has shared a, a certain experience where um she shared that she was feeling some doubt and some questioning and then was told oh that's just satan so then you're what you're pairing there is that when you listen to your own experience, what's happening in your uh, body, your emotions, that that's Satan, that's evil, you stop trusting and listening to what you're experiencing. You question your own thought, like, oh, that must not be true. I must be thinking crazy. This other person got it right. I need to not wear, you know, I need to wear pants that, you know, go under my feet to make sure that brothers don't struggle, right? So this, this concept, this practice of gaslighting, again, can be intentional. And sometimes people engage in it because of the habit of, of engaging to get what they want. Um, may not have be psychologically savvy enough to notice it, but they're doing it. It's convincing the target or the person that what they're experiencing isn't true and they just need to trust what they're being told about it. So again, how can you have a strong sense of self? And trusting your decision-making, how you enter into relationships, what schools you go to, mm -hmm. on and so forth. Man, was I gaslit this whole time? <laughs> Jesus. Powerful. And it is powerful. It is. I, feel like, I feel like a victim now. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like it just, it I didn't know that was a the- a lot of trauma, yeah. I didn't know that was mm -hmm. the word that was the term used to describe it, but that describes the experience in a nutshell. Wow. 
Literally. Okay. Thank you for that. I, I might be doing that. You might be saying some terms that I'm going to need, <laughs> you know, clarification on. You know, She's like, let me take out my textbooks again. <laughs> so now let me. We we've mentioned in season two, um, and I think more so than season one, we've mentioned this concept of red flags. And different people notice different red flags at different times regarding the experience with the church. Did you notice any red flags? And what were they? Maybe not all, but are there any that come to mind? You know, that's a, in this moment, I'm experiencing that question as tricky because what's coming to mind, what I think is supposed to come to mind is like if there was a particular event or something that was said, like in a, um, uh, a large service or something like that. And nothing is coming to mind right now. Not that it didn't happen. The red flags, I think for me, were from my own experience that I ignored, um, that I then hid away. Do you have an example? Can you think of one? <laughs> yes. So this one, one experience is coming to mind where I was in a discipleship meeting with my discipler and I was trying to relate because I didn't know this person very well, but I also, you know, code switching is a real thing, right? So code switching is about language, but it is also about how do I bring my full self into a situation, environment, or a relationship? Um, and it's often, you know, with BIPOC people, people of color, when you're moving in predominantly white spaces, institutions, we don't always show up with our full authentic self because that environment can be hostile or threatening or unwelcoming. So mind you, I'm this Black woman at a predominantly white institution in a college ministry that is predominantly white that I've had, you know, these spiritual leaders, I had an Afro back then putting their hand in my hair to put a, to make a, a handprint and I can't say anything about it. So a lot of how I showed what? up with those relationships, girl. Oh so a lot of times when I showed up in those relationships, it wasn't my full self. There was the coach which you that was there. So those are the red flags, some of the red flags. But I remember one particular moment with this one uh, discipling partner who got baptized after me, but was deemed like the new leader, like the leader mm -hmm. that had been prayed for to lead the new, you know, <laughs> after uh, the one of the legacy leaders graduated, this was the person that was going to come in and take her place. Um, so anyway, so I'm trying to explain to her, you know, an experience trying to relate and be vulnerable, taking the risk and share about an insecurity that I had in the class that had to do with before I was baptized and, another male student that I said the silliest thing. And it's kind of funny. Um, that's a whole nother story, but it was kind of funny, but I still had some ugh, embarrassment about it. And when I was sharing it with her, she cut me off and said, well, why are you concerned about that? And like the way that she said it, what I interpreted of like, that's stupid, that's not godly. Why are you concerned about other people's, like it was just very hurtful. Like I'm trying to share something with you and be vulnerable. That is not easier for me to do. And you want to come at me with scriptures. And so I shut down in that moment instead of telling her, yo, like this is, this is why I'm sharing it. And yes, it's still a concern for me. Um, like I would respond to that question very differently now mm -hmm. than what I did before. I also had um, just other like relationship sort of betrayals or injuries that happened that just like, I knew it wasn't right, but I went along with it anyway. 
that, oh, I'm being sinful or I'm like that whole gaslighting piece, that that's where those red flags were when I was just like, well, no, um, love keeps no record of wrong. I'm keeping a list of all of the wrongs this person has done with me. Then that's not being godlike and denying that part instead of addressing it with the person. Like that's how that proficiency that you mentioned before, it continues to be perpetuated from person to person. So I'm sure that there were, you know, events, things said from the quote unquote pulpit that were problematic red flags, but it was those kind of everyday Hmm. interactions that were more of the red flags I look back on now that I just ignored or it stuffed down. So it was, it was almost um, in addition, if I could add on to what you're saying, it's almost as if the red flags for you were not so much what was done or said, but the reaction to it. Or implied, the implicity. Both and. Mm-hmm. No, the, the reaction to it, like how you. So what it, was said it, was a problem and the reaction that I had, I buried. And that's a problem. So yeah. it's a both and. I understand. I understand. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about you finally leaving the church. And I want to set the scene here. So we've talked in season two, we've talked about the letter, I thought, in in a fair extent, to a fair extent. And so the letter comes out in 2003, spring 2003. I'll never forget it. It was a warm, crisp day. Now I'm kidding. But <laughs> let's say it was fall, sir. I don't know about that. <laughs> no, nah, it was the spring for New York. It was spring. I don't remember. I remember where I was staying, what dorm I was in. I remember my roommate, but I don't remember the exact time frame. Nah, it was it was it was spring two thousand three. Only reason I remember is because I wouldn't. I went away to school, and so I was you know at this. uh, It was during the spring semester. That's all I recall. And you're in New York City. Yep. You're in New York City, and one of the things you mentioned in in your uh, original interview was that you're. And I'm paraphrasing, your enthusiasm for the church began to wane, right? It began to dissipate a, a, a bit uh, or ebb away. And you transition to graduate school in Arizona. And you got to Phoenix. Like my man, Isaac Hayes. But anyway, I'm Here not going to do it. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm just saying that's what happened. So you transition to Arizona. And shortly thereafter, your time with the church come, comes to an end. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? What was, what, what, what made, what, what, what solidified you leaving at that time? What, what made it happen? Next time on The Reclamation. But it also affects our family members and our friends. Your family was of a uh, Southern Baptist background? Yes, still are. Still Still are, are. Mm -hmm. still are. So Mm -hmm. you got into this church. Mm -hmm. How, How did that, how did they react to it? 